today I interviewed Dr. David Kuman from the Israel Institute of New Zealand. We talked about the history of anti-Semitism, a quick forced march through 2,000 years of history, the history of the State of Israel and some of the activities that have led to the current crisis with the Hamas attack on southern Israel and the significance of Hamas and also an area of particular interest of mine why there have been so many people in the West who have, in my view, failed the moral test of responding to the crisis and the killings that have occurred. Uh, In parts, the conversation got a little bit difficult um, in terms of the level of emotions I think both David and I have felt. Uh, It's an important conversation, runs a little bit longer than uh, normal, and I, I hope that you find something of value in it. Welcome to my podcast, Different Matters. I'm here with Dr. David Kuman. Dr. David Kuman is a co-director of the Israel Institute. Is that right, David? That's right, Israel Institute of New Zealand. The Israel Institute of New Zealand. Maybe we'll start with that. What what exactly is the Israel Institute of New Zealand? Uh, So we're an independent think tank dedicated to providing uh, New Zealanders with a better understanding of Israel. Um, Essentially, we've got a website and some social media outlets, and and we write letters, um, and uh, we have an email list of supporters, so we we like to keep people updated and informed. All right, Uh, I see some of your stuff on Twitter. You guys do do an excellent job. Thank you. All right, so obviously we're, we're going to be talking about the recent events in the Middle East, and... And more particularly from my perspective, not so much that uh, I'm interested in how us in the West are reacting and responding to that. But let's, as I was talking before we started, let's do a quick force march through three, well, no, it's not 5,800 years of Jewish history. I was asking (laughs) a mutual friend of ours, Juliet, um, um, what year is it? And she said something like 5,800 years. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure some of those numbers in the early years would be a bit squishy, but but <laughs> it's all good. All right, I was doing some research for this. in In my mind, anti-Semitism. When I think about it, the first anti-Semitic behaviour in my historical mem not my my own memory was the Edward the First expulsion of the Jews in around 1290. But anti-Semitism actually predates Christianity, which I found really interesting. And the the first recorded program, although the word's a relatively recent intervention, uh, was around 38 AD and it happened in Alexandria, which is then under Roman rule, where the Jewish population was maybe uh, a third of that city. And and some of it kind of resonated. They were talking in the Wikipedia, which is qualified research these days, (laughs) that part of the issue was the monotheism of... Judaism, which of course Christians um, came into some issues with that as well. Then we have really where this whole thing started, and that was the expulsion of the Jews in the um, under Emperor Hadrian and the dispersal of the the Jewish population. And then we this kind of a bit of a 
um, not a lot seems to happen until suddenly we get up into the the Middle Ages, and as I said, we have the expulsion of the Jews uh, by Hadrian. We've got the Jewish by Edward the First. We've got the Jewish Inquisition. Maybe David, just from your perspective, what what was happening during that period? Why why were the Jews picked out? I mean, you saw, saw through the Crusades, people were going on marching to the Crusades, and they would stop on their way to uh, burn synagogues and murder Jews. Why? So the anti-Semitic response to that is, what have the Jews done to deserve it? Uh, or the anti-Semitic question of mm-hmm. that. Um, but of course, the mm-hmm. blaming the victim is um, was largely what your column was about, your excellent column recently. Uh, why the Jews is an eternal question, um, but I think um, the better question is why society picks on the Jews, which is kind of how you framed it, but I want to be quite clear that anti-Semitism is not a Jewish problem, it's the society's problem. And there are books to be written about why, and some people have tried to explain it. Um, to my mind, I think you've touched on a couple of of the elements of that. The, the one is, of course, that uh, Jews are different. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a particular re- religious affiliation. There's a particular cultural affiliation. Um, there is an ethnicity associated with it. And so there is um, an identifiable traits that people can point to as the other. Mm-hmm. Um, Jews also generally have, um, in whichever society they've been in, uh, tried to assimilate and work hard and give their children a better future, um, and often have succeeded in that and have, you know, uh, had good jobs and good positions and and done well and and won Nobel prizes. Yeah, you guys won a, an awful lot. Um, proportionately, it's huge, and so whenever there is. Uh, a tall poppy, there are some that want to cut that down. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is an element of, of that involved. Um, and then I think if you trace it back, um, there's also an element of um, uh, the religious side of things. So being a, uh, a possible threat to Christianity or Islam that came after, um, those religions wanted to protect uh, themselves. And so there were lots of... Um, mistruths, disinformation, is that what we call it these days? Lies. Lies. Um, um, invented libels, um, as it was. So well, let's, uh, let's they blame talk, the Jews for all sorts of things. Let's talk about the, some of them, right? So one of the things, which so many things I didn't want to know about, um, uh, Jewish decide. Um, uh, Jews collectively responsible for the death of Christ, Pilate washing his hands and handing the decision of Jesus over, over to the Jews. So... I mean that that does seem to be a common theme. Well, I mean this was this was the libel that was spread throughout the church for a large part of um, the Middle Ages, and uh, it was been responsible for pogroms after mm. pogroms after pogroms. Um, the the other thing that I think is important to say is that this um, virus, if you like, uh, um, mutates over time, but it always comes out when there are societal. Uh, Strife. Mm-hmm. So whenever there's society in disarray or there's some problem, there will always be someone that points their finger at the other, the Jew, um, amongst others, uh, perhaps. But um, this history that you've described uh, certainly makes it more impactful on the Jewish community wherever we've been. 
regardless of if, whether we've integrated well, uh, then we're too integrated. And if we haven't integrated enough, we're too separate. Uh, if we've achieved enough, we've achieved too much. And if we haven't achieved enough, we're, we're too filthy and poor. Uh, so it doesn't really matter what the Jews do, um, the finger will always be pointed in our direction. I shouldn't laugh, but it's, it's just so true. Because you, you go back and... Um um, I was aware of this previously during the plague, during the Black Death, I should say, and there was there was this kind of view that that, that somehow the Jews were responsible, and there was, I mean, I, I won't go into it, but 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 some of the 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 means, I mean, you know, Europeans did all sorts of crazy stuff in in, in dealing with the plague, um, but massacres towards Jews uh, was one of them, and likewise with the Crusades. You know, when whenever something goes wrong, it's the Jews. Um, and the one bit of history which I do know a little bit about the the expulsion raid with the first. I mean, that was just such a. And some that wasn't even anti-Semitic. That was just saying, I've got these barons. I need to keep them happy. Um, uh, the Jews are the money lenders. If I kick the Jews out, I keep my barons happy. And it was just like, it's, <sighs> yeah. So whenever there's a problem. Um, um, smacking the Jews is, is, seems seems to be a very easy solution. Unfortunately, um, uh, we, we one would have hoped that that ease of solution would have um, become more difficult over time. But um, in an excellent article that Rabbi Sachs gave, the late Rabbi Sachs, uh, he called anti-Semitism a mutating virus. And there's a paragraph in that that I think sums sums a lot of this up very well. He said, "In the Middle Ages, Jews were hated because of their religion." In the uh, 20th century, Jews were hated because of their race, yes. and now Jews are hated because of their nation-state. And this mutating virus um, simply adapts over time to whichever is the appeal to authority at the time. So it was the church in the yes. Middle Ages, it was the, the nation-state in the 20th century, yes. and now it's human rights. Yeah. yeah. So, so in order to justify... Because... I'm not entirely too sure that I. He says that the virus is is mutating. I mean, I I think we are just seeing different manifestations of the, of, of the same virus. Um, but it was. But he said some really interesting things, and 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 I think it's worth coming might come to, on this a bit later. He was talking about criticism of Israel as not being anti-Semitic, and there is. Um, and to demonstrate that, because he, he said he was giving a, a lecture to a group of students, and he said, right, who, who here thinks you have the right to criticise the government of Britain? And they all put their hands up. And then, who thinks Britain has a right to you know, exist? And they all put their hands up. And it was like, okay, so you can criticise the government, but not feel that, that, that the state has, does not have the right to exist. And I think that's quite that's interesting, because you know there there are things that I think the government of Israel does is terrible. But um, the the idea that we that um, the argument that's, that's pushed back is that people, in my view, when I, when I see them, they are criticizing Israel. They aren't criticizing Israel. They they are criticising Jews. That's that's their problem. But the other thing that Sachs, Rabbi Sachs said, which I thought was also quite interesting, was that we said two things. One, it never stops with the Jews. Mm. I, mm. It always 
it starts with uh, the Jews, but he also said it's an it's an indicative it's an indication of a deeper society problem, um, and I hold that thought because I I'm, um, I want to I want to come back to that. Well, if I can just pick up on, yeah. on one, the comment that you made about the criticism of Israel, um, because I think that's going to become much more important in our discussion as we talk about more recent events, mm. is um, that example is entirely correct. And in fact, um, <laughs> there's a couple of points. There's a few things to say about this. Uh, firstly, um, I think Jews and Israelis are the harshest critics of Israel at some points, yes. um, legitimately. Um, well, they were tearing each other apart <laughs> over changes to the Supreme Court rules. Exa- exactly. The, the, the level of protests that we've seen in Israel over the, before the massacre um, were unprecedented. And so there is legitimate criticism to be had of all governments, yes. um, and we should acknowledge that. The problem is exactly as you say, is when people take that beyond mere criticism of Israel and then try and say that it is. So to say that Israel is an apartheid state committing genocide and should be abolished is, is, a, lie. is a complete lie. And it goes well beyond any legitimate criticism. And I should say that the um, International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance uh, has published a working definition of anti-Semitism, which which includes examples of comparing Israel to Nazis, for example, um, which is appalling and disgusting and well beyond criticism. Um, And they explicitly say in this working definition that criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic. No rightful, right-thinking person is going to disagree with that. However, that working definition has still been opposed by some of our um, uh, MPs and some of our uh, fellow citizens on you the mean, basis that... You mean New Zealand MPs? I don't, yes. I don't understand. Why would you oppose that definition? I'm confused. I don't understand it either. No, no, but what's, what, what, is, what is their position? Uh, so so um, it's changed for different people. Um, some say that it uh, suppresses free speech, even though it's not legally binding and it's a way no, of pointing I'm, I'm out... I'm confused. So, the, so the, uh, the Holocaust... The International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. Yep, so, they, so they say... Criticism of Israel is not ipso facto evidence of anti-Semitism, right? Okay. And and you're saying that some MPs disagree with that? No, some MPs have opposed um, New Zealand adopting this definition and, and recognising it and um, so what educating do they, what about what do they think the definition of anti-Semitism should be? Oh, there's no alternative proposed, Damien. Oh. Don't, don't be silly. <laughs> okay, okay. This, is, this is not about building up or helping. This is about uh, suppressing. Okay. All right. Let's... Okay, all right. So um, we spent five minutes covering 2,000 years of Jewish history. Let's spend another three or four minutes covering um, um, the the last 100 years. All right, so Zionism, when does it start? So from what I can see, again, from my extensive Wikipedia research, uh, Theodore Herzl, around 1900, and um, a desire for Jews to move back to to the homeland, and this was prompted by anti-Semitism that was occurring back then. At the time, the Levant was under the control of the Ottoman Empire, British mandates, um, and then we have the, the, the foundation of Israel. Again, huge topic, but let's just... I just want to talk about this relatively uh, briefly. The offer that was made, the partition offer that was made, 1948... Right, which was so. Let's uh, talk very briefly about what the offer was and why it didn't come to pass. Well, let's just go back slightly further because um, uh, Herzl might have been the father of modern Zionism. But every single year, 
Jews around the world, um, many of which are not religious, um, myself included. Mm -hmm. But uh, we all celebrate the festival of Passover or Pesach, uh, and we have uh, a Seder, we set the table and we tell the story of the exodus of the Jews. What's a Seder? Uh, Literally it means order, but essentially it's telling the story of the Jews' exodus um, from Egypt into Israel. And every single year, the end of that uh, uh, dinner, the end of that discussion... um, are the words next year in Jerusalem. Um, and so uh, Zionism, the idea that Jews should be able to self-determine in their ind- indigenous lands, um, is an idea that has been around for millennia. Um, Theodore Herzl revived the idea mm-hmm. um, partly based on the vile anti-Semitism in Europe, but I think we should keep in mind that it's been around for a long time. Uh, so your question was around the partition plan. That was the UN partition yes. plan um, uh, I think there's a little bit of history that needs to be filled in um, before we get to the plan itself, and that is that the Allied forces, New Zealand included, and thank you to our Anzac soldiers who fought uh, for the liberation of Israel from the Ottoman Empire, uh, did so, and the Middle East was carved up. Um, There were rulers put on maps and pens drawn across them. Mr Balfour. Uh, uh, And it wasn't just... Uh, the the British mandate of Palestine, as it was, um, but there were also Syria and Jordan and Lebanon and other countries. So at that time, um, the Allied forces uh, drew up the map and they divided basically the Middle East into British-controlled and French-controlled areas. Mm -hmm. The British control included the mandate of Palestine, which included modern-day Israel and Gaza and, and Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, and also Jordan. Um, very quickly, the British realised that... Um, was the Sinai part of that mandate? Yes, I believe it was. Um, very quickly, the British realised that um, uh, they were having difficulty controlling the, the area of land um, and uh, they were coming under increasing pressure. And so they carved off two-thirds of it to become Jordan. They gave it to the Hashemite Kingdom. Um, and then the remaining third of that land, what is now Israel and Gaza and Judea and Samaria... Um, was under British control. Um, and the uh, before the partition plan, there was the Peel Commission, which was the British saying, we're having a hard time controlling these people here. The Arabs want to kill the Jews. The Jews want to defend themselves. We can't defend anyone. Um, at the time, there had also been um, Jewish militia attacks uh, against British forces. Um, yes, very controversial. Uh, very controversial, and we shouldn't ignore that. I, I don't think this... This is a Watson All podcast, as far yes. as I understand. You've got me on. Um, and so the, the Peel Commission said, uh, look, we, we don't think that the Arabs and the Jews can live together peacefully. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that we should split the land into two states um, and here are rough borders, etc. Yep. And at the time, the Jews said, we've been out of our indigenous land for so long, um, only a few of us have remained. We really want to return and rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we'll begrudgingly accept. And the Arabs said no way in hell is there going to be Jewish self-determination in any part of this land. Um, go but away. who But who? Who were the Arabs who, specifically who? Because we say the Arabs, but I mean there must have been somebody speaking on their behalf. Uh, so at the time I think it was the Arab, uh, they, they called themselves the Arab Committee, I think. Um, and and it's, it's interesting because uh, this was referenced by a, a local anti-Israel advocate in um, one of his recent screeds. And, and the the interesting thing about it is in their first manifesto, they say that they wanted the land to become part of Syria again. 
because of the, there had never been a Palestinian state or entity. Yeah. It was always part of Syria or the Ottoman Empire. And yeah. so their mandate was had nothing about Palestinians as we know them now. They wanted to be they ruled to be, by Damascus. Exactly. Let's this be yeah. Arab land yeah. again. Um, which at the time, you know, a debate could be had. Not they didn't want to become part of Jordan. The Hashemite Kingdom was already in control of that, and the, and the, there had always, well, there had long been this idea that the land was southern Syria. That's how the name Palestine came into existence. It was Palestina, Syria, Syria Palestina by the Romans. Sorry, say that again. The name Palestine for the land, yes, was given to it by the Romans as a middle finger to the Jews. Oh, really? I didn't know and, that. The, and the full name was Syria Palestina. Syria and Palestina means what in Latin? Uh, literally means invaders. Um, but it was the uh, a play on the Philistines who were the enemies of the Jews. <laughs> so the I Ro- did not know that. So the Romans, the Romans bestowed that name as a massive middle finger to the Jews. Um, right. So anyway, that, that's... Well, this is, you know, after Hadrian kicked them all out. Oh, no, that was before. This was well before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, so the partition plan. <laughs> so we have the... We have whole lot of that history. We have the Peel Commission before that. Yes. Then the United Nations, uh, sorry, the League of Nations at the time. Yes. Uh, says, um, we've really got to do something about this. The United Nations picks it up and there is a um, proposal put forward that the land, um, the one third of the British mandate of Palestine left, yes. should be divided between a Jewish state and an Arab state. And was and not quite 50-50, but pretty close. No, and it kind of followed demographic borders. Yep. Um, there was a question about Jerusalem. It might have been under international control. Um, but Jerusalem but was in the Arab part quite quite distinctively. Uh, there was yes. going to be no Jews in, in Jerusalem. Yes. Um, and and once again, the, the Jewish leadership said, been homeless for so long, we will return to our indigenous land, whatever piece of it we can get, and we will build a state, and we will rebuild a nation at home. And the Arab countries said, no way in hell, we're not having this. Um, and as soon as the British ended their mandate, the Arab armies invaded mm-hmm. Israel. Um, and there was Well, a Israel war. was barely even a country. It was more of an idea. It kind of was, you're right. Um, there was no organised army up until that point. Um, there was, you know, it was all under British control. Yeah. The, British, the British were in control of everything. And so... Um, that was the first war that Israel fought for its independence, um, and it won in 1948 and um, declared itself a state among the nations. And this is where this is where the drama starts. Um, well, <laughs> well, okay, the, 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 the modern interpretation of the drama. All right, so uh, circa 700,000 Arabs fled. Uh, were expelled. So some did flee of their own accords, um, uh, um, some were, were forcibly evicted. And, and I have, it has to be said that um, some of the Arab nations surrounding Israel that invaded yes. to um, get rid of this idea of Jews having self-determination yeah. told the Arabs to leave and that they could return in a few days once they've killed all the Jews and made it safe again. Um, and so um, part of it was that as well. Yeah. Um, but you're right, there was about 750, depending on estimates, 750,000 Arabs um, left that region. We should also keep in mind mm-hmm. that at the same time, this is just after the Second World War, yeah. there was, of course, also the India-Pakistan dispute. Um, yes. And, uh, and there were uh, orders of magnitude more right, people yes, yes. who were caught up in that and fleeing and displaced um, millions, tens of millions of people 
um, displaced. And there is died in that disaster as well. I believe so. It, it was a catastrophe. The world was at war, um, yes. and it was a mess, and there was a whole lot of pain and suffering all over the globe that we shouldn't forget in the context of yeah. all of this. Um, and nobody, and it's just like, yeah, you're you're right. All of that that mass migration and the and and the petition. And there was massive movements of people inside Europe as well, yeah. let's not forget. Yeah. I mean, you know, what what the hell happened to Prussia? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Which okay, that's 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 not to let everybody off the hook. But at the same but at the same time, because this is just such it, it irritates me that at the same time that, that happened, right? So yep, some people left, but it, but you know, also let's be honest, there was there were the um, I don't know if it's called the IDF at the, at the time, but there were, there were instructions to, to to clear out villages. But at the same time, no, they, I, I I want to be clear about this. Yes, Plan Dalit is referred to by um, people as this master plan to ethnically cleanse the land. Yes, but if you actually go and read it, yes, and read it in its context, it's very yeah. clear that the idea was to protect all citizens, and it was to only take control of Arab villages where there were terrorists operating, where there was a threat to civilian life. Yes. Now, I am sure that somewhere along the line, as in all wars, there was a rogue one or two, whatever happened. But the official plans, and from all of the historical evidence, a lot of the reports of these ideas of ethnically cleansing the land and these ideas of mass slaughter, etc., um, well, have I all been debunked. There's been no. I I saw nothing of no evidence of mass slaughter, but, I, but I, there are stories out there. Yeah, the, yeah but the, I mean the Diasin massacre and the okay, yeah, this and that massacre. I mean that's that, that's garbage. But but um, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on, on on that one. From my my extensive research in the last two days, um, it did seem to indicate that there that the you know that there were some Arab members in that area who were encouraged. He says in air quotes to uh, to leave. Anyway, we can. Um, I'm. I'm going to bow to your expertise on that because um, um, I don't know anywhere near enough. But at the same time, there was mass migration. I'm reasonably similar terms from Jews outside of the rest of the Arab world to Israel, and some of that was Israel going out there and saying, "Hey, we need people." But an awful lot of it was saying, "Hey." Um, we don't want you here, please go. And uh, it looks like there's about 900,000 Jews who were expelled or encouraged to leave Arab uh, lands. About 650,000 of them fled to Israel. The process didn't all happen in the, in the 1940s, but certainly in the late 40s and early 50s, that's where most of it happened. The process seemed to go on to the 70s, with Iran being the last um, to really pressure the Jews to leave. And it appears that about half of the population of Israel today is descendants of um, of those. It'd be, it'd be unfair to call them all expulsions, but 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 of that, um, these people didn't want to migrate because they they lived in, in in Syria and Yemen and whatever for millennia. Um, for suddenly to pick up and 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 up sticks, there was something going on. About but about half the population of Israel, from what I understand, is are descendants of that migration, um, and you never hear this. You know, if if Palestine's going to be free from the river to the sea, what 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 happens? Do they do they do they go back to Tunisia? 
We can come back to that statement in a bit, Damien, maybe, but um, there are some organisations that have tried to raise attention of this, and in fact, um, I remember a number of years ago, the United Nations even hosted, believe it or not, um, a small little poster um, that told the story of the 850,000 Jews that were um, expelled or fled the Arab lands at about the same time. Um, You're entirely correct. Uh, Israel absorbed them. It wasn't easy for them, though, and there were some you know, unpleasant conditions when they arrived um, in tents and, and refugee camps, etc. But, um, yeah, uh, just over half of the Israeli population is Mizrahi, as uh, we refer. What does, so, what does that mean? Uh, Jews, uh, more recently, of the Middle East, rather than Sephardim, were Jews of, of Spain, Spanish right. area, or Ashkenazi, which are Jews um, that ended up in Europe. Uh, so... Let's not forget the handful of Ethiopians. Of course not. Uh, there's also there's also some Chinese Jews that I, I recently found out about. I know. So when when we were kicked out of of Israel, um, and most Jews were scattered across the globe, it's um, it's interesting where we've, we've all ended up. A, a nation of wanderers wander far and wide. Okay. All right. So um, so now we have a Jewish state. Uh, well. It's, whether it's a Jewish state or not is, is an interesting question. But anyway, um, it's certainly a majority Jewish state. Then um, let's just charge you very quickly. We've, we, we have the Six-Day War, um, and that's just... And as part of the Six-Day War, it's irrelevant to this discussion, is the Sinai Desert falls under Israeli control. Um, and, um, but also the West Bank falls under um, uh, Israeli control. Now and, and Gaza and the Golan Heights. Yep, yep. So that's so the, the Gaza was up until the Six Day War, Gaza was Egyptian territory. And the West Bank was Jordanian territory. Mm-hmm. Right. And and after this war, the um, uh, Gaza fell under Israeli control, as did the West Bank, as did the Golan. Heights, which was previously under Syrian control. So, yep. To be clear, so the Syrians were uh, were kicked out. Um, so the, the the Arab armies invaded Israel, and Israel defended itself and pushed them back. In nineteen sixty seven. In sixty seven, six day war. I thought the I thought um, uh, that um, that was a preemptive attack. The NASA oh, was closing yes. off the. Sorry, the Arab armies were amassing themselves. They were to getting ready Israel. to attack. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then Israel attacked before they were ready. <laughs> I just. Thankfully, thankfully. Um, come on, NASA, what are you thinking? Anyway, all right. Um, then uh, we bounce out to 1973 in the Yom Kippur War. Uh, this time Israel doesn't launch a preemptive attack. No, it was a surprise strike on the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. Yep. Uh, um, uh, Sinai once again comes under uh, contention. Uh, Israeli forces enter in both into Syria and Egypt. Um, uh, the whole thing, the the invasion fails. Now, we come up to Camp David. This does my head in, but okay. Israel gave up the Sinai. <coughs> You're shaking your head, Damien. Why? <laughs> um, uh, I wouldn't have done it. Um, Why not? Because this is this is really interesting, because at the time, and still today, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of people who want to say that this is all about land. And 
the prevailing political thought at the time of that was land for peace. So if only the Arab Palestinians, as they became known, um, had some land and could establish a state, there would be peace. If only Israel gave up uh, some of the land for these people, there would be peace. Half its land territory? For pe- land for peace was... Half its territory? So uh, I'm, I'm explaining how some people thought yes. at the time. You have a different view, and I'm keen to hear why that is, because there are still some people today who say, oh, if only they had some land and could build their state. What's your objection to that? Uh, I think you are relying on a benign uh, future, um, and I don't think that there is one. I think Israel, I think people underestimate the strategic challenge that Israel is currently facing. Uh, I think with Hezbollah in the north, um, uh, I don't... I mean, we'll come to this a little bit later, but I mean, um, I I think Israel faces massive strategic uh, problems, and I think it's you know it's, it's great that the Sinai that the Suez Canal was open again because I mean the Suez Canal was actually closed for that entire time, which I'm pretty sure was half of the reason why the Americans were pushing for the settlement deal. But um, but I I don't believe in a permanent benign strategic environment, I think Israel would have been better to, to, to hold on to that territory. But but nonetheless, I I understand why they did it, right? Um, and it, it helped garner peace with Egypt, to be fair. Yes, it uh, it it did, but I think it anyway. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna second guess the 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 decision. Um, um, I'd. Egypt is just grateful that I wasn't the one in charge. Um, so, uh, all right. So we have peace with Egypt. Uh, Israel gives up the the Sinai Desert. Um, why the hell you didn't give? Why the hell they didn't give Gaza back to the? Because that would have actually been an ideal solution if you'd convinced the Egyptians to take back Gaza. But or or just anyway. Okay, we can fast forward to two thousand and five in a little bit. Okay, all right. <laughs> Then we have a couple of intifadas, right? So, yeah. Well, let, let let's um, remind your listeners what an intifada is, because you say it so nonchalantly as if uh, we just had some. <laughs> so let's talk about the first one. They're said they're said to be uprisings, um, which is euphemism for slaughtering Jews, um, and uh, the memory of buses exploding, and. Um, Suicide bombers outside nightclubs and pizza restaurants being blown apart uh, used to be able to be talked about in far less emotional terms. But after the events of the last week, um, those horrors are to the surface. So the the intifadas were uh, essentially um, periods of terror attacks against Israelis um, from the Arabs as had happened well before even Israel was a state. Um, uh, that's why the Peel Commission was so important to mention, because um, this is not about the state of Israel as much as it is about the existence of Jews. Anyway, we can nonchalantly say now that we've had a couple of intifadas. Yes, well, I think we're, we're entering a, a third one potentially. Well, um, well, they're, they're, I, and, and this is an important point too, because I want to bring a little bit of 
contemporary politics into this discussion as well. Um, there was uh, a period of knifing and car ramming attacks in Israel. Um, this would have been around 2014, 15, um, I think. I need to check that. Um, but there, there, there was a spate of knifing and car ramming attacks against Jewish civilians, Israeli civilians, and it was called the Knife Intifada. Um, I'll look it up for you while I tell the rest of the story. This is this is recently. Um, this is uh, 2014, 15. Um, the this, reason that this I this is in the West Bank or inside uh, oh, Israel is proper inside Israel. 2015, 16. Yeah. Um, it was called the Knife Intifada, and it was it was horrible. There were <laughs> murders with knives and cars um, at bus stops and in random places and. Um, the Palestinian Authority was inciting it with uh, propaganda. They they pay their citizens a stipend um, that increases with every Jew that they murder. This still happens, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into some more of that a little bit later, maybe. But the thing that I wanted to say is, at the time, I had the um, responsibility to sit opposite Murray McCulley, who was our foreign minister, mm-hmm. um, and talk about a whole lot of issues. Um, this was before he went to the United Nations um, and signed New Zealand up um, for UN Security Council 2334. One of the questions that I asked him was, Foreign Minister McCulley, the spate of knife and ramming attacks that we've seen has been horrendous. There's been more than 300 Israelis who have been murdered at the time. Will you call that terrorism? And he failed to do so. Um, and I think that's appalling. And it echoes our current foreign minister, soon to be ex-foreign minister, mm-hmm. uh, who also failed to call the events of last weekend terror, not only at the time, but also in a subsequent Radio New Zealand interview, um, even after she'd been corrected by the Prime Minister. Resolution 2334, I think I know what this one was, but just remind me... <laughs> Uh, this was in the United Nations Security Council resolution when New Zealand had a seat at the table um, that uh, condemned Israel, as the United Nations is wont to do. Um, it called for distinguishing between um, uh, Israel proper, as they refer, and um, anything, any businesses or any Israeli um, people are in Judea and Samaria on the West Bank um, or in Gaza. The idea is to, or in Jerusalem actually, West Jerusalem. So denying indigenous rights to the holiest of our sites, the Jewish sites, um, and uh, demonizing Israel. Yeah, I'm a, I think that was the first, my first serious column, I've only written about two or three on the topic, and I'm pretty sure that I um, had a crack at McCulley over that one. Because I just, come on, man, seriously. Yeah. Well, his party apologised later, to their credit. Um, but the funny, the funny thing about it is, I, I distinctly remember. I think it was about a year afterwards, because Winston Peters had also said um, uh, the process wasn't followed. It didn't go to cabinet. We didn't, you know, have a chance yeah. to discuss it. Um, and he was, he had an interview on Radio New Zealand, and and Winston Peters at the time, this was I think a year or two afterwards, and he said, ah, oh, it's all academic now, as in. 
you know, who cares about those pesky resolutions? And to a certain point, you've got to agree with the guy. I mean, it's a bunch of despots and dictators sitting at the United Nations. Um, yes, true. Uh, but, that's, know, but that's uh, not the point. It's about our own soul. And, and it's also about the fact that this resolution has now been brought up ad nausea for the past 10 years or more, um, whenever it was passed, um, on how, how evil and horrible the Jewish nation is. Okay, let's... Um, uh, so... We have, because I want, I want to get onto Hamas. So, <laughs> so get onto, not into, right? <laughs> uh, um, I don't think they'd have me as a member, to be honest, David. Um, uh, they might try and teach me how to fly. Um, so, so uh, there was after the. So we have the Oslo Accords, and whether. Um, We've got a, we we start to see a split in Palestinian. Um, so I have an issue with the term Palestinian, actually, but um, um, I remember one kind of I just referred to them as Arabs, and I got in all sorts of trouble. But um, uh, but it's just accepting the the language as it is. Uh, we start to see a split in Palestinian, and there are so many groups. We'll just stay focused on. So you got. The PLA, which is effectively dominated by Fatah, and then you've got then you've got Hamas, and Hamas starts to come out as um, the more militant, arguably ideologically pure. They never accept a two-state solution. The PLO does explicitly uh, accept, at least nominally, a two-state solution. Um, uh, we have the Oslo Accords. Okay. You know, don't quite get all the way there. We've got the Camp David summit in 2000 with Uhud Barak and, and Yasser Arafat. There was a deal on the table which Yasser Arafat rejects. So what did he reject? What did Yasser Arafat reject? To the extent that we to extent that we know, I think we do. But yeah, so let, I mean, let's rewind a little bit. I mentioned the peel the the peel recommendation. Yes, we've mentioned the UN partition. Um, there, there's been um, UN Resolution 194 about giving land for peace, rejected by the Arabs. Um, Security Council Resolution 242, land for peace, rejected by the Arabs. We've seen the Begin Sadat peace proposal in 78, rejected by the Arabs. Rabin Hussein peace proposal 94, rejected by the Arabs. Barack Clinton 2000, rejected by the Arabs. Um, we've seen 2008, the Olmert Bush peace proposal, which I think you're referring to, um, rejected by the Arabs. Um, John Kerry tried, believe it or not. John Kerry? Uh, the contour for peace plan oh rejected by the Arabs. And then Trump tried in 2019 and said, uh, here's another plan for peace rejected by the Arabs. And not just rejected, but rejected without any idea of a counter-proposal or, hey, if we tweak this border a little bit so that we can have this other village uh, under our control or, you know, maybe we can do something with the airwaves or something else. Like, not even... A negotiating partner for peace yeah. on the other side, and this is how it has been since before the UN Partition Plan. Even. Okay, so, so what, what were they offered? Well, what have they so, been offered? So this was this was the Clinton uh, deal, which I I really like this deal. But anyway, um, so Camp David Summit two thousand because I think this, from my understanding, this is probably the closest um, that um, the region ever got to a resolution. Yeah, so the, the, the proposal was, hey, Arab Palestinians, how about you take 
about 96% of uh, the land beyond the Green Line, which is the 1967 armistice border. The Jordanian Um, land that was occupied. Exactly right. Uh, And Gaza as well, so the Egyptian land that was occupied. Um, You will take about 96% of that. Um, We'll do a little bit of swapping around of some of the borders so that, you know, it makes a bit more sense. The idea is you can try and build up your own state and have the self-determination that you claim that you want. Mm -hmm. And Israel can maintain its security. Because... You spoke about the Sinai Desert as being strategically important. The Judea and Samarian hills are far more strategically important because they are an elevated what, what, land. What they, sorry, sorry this is what's commonly referred to as the West Bank. Yeah, but you said so the hills. They are elevations above the plains of Israel. So they rockets fired from there will reach Tel Aviv easily. You can see the airport on a clear day. Right, okay. So, this, so, the, so the, these are some hills inside what we call the West Bank. Okay, I understand. Yeah, um, and so strategically, from a security point of view, they are far more important than the Sinai Desert. And Israel was not prepared to give those up. Well, they were. Oh, okay. In, in a whole lot of in a whole lot of the deals, yeah. Israel said, "We will give you yes. that land because we want peace." Yes. Right now, yeah. there might have been some security arrangements that needed to be done, and I think there were some no-fly zones as part of the deal. Yeah. But even with all of that, the response wasn't. Hey, thanks a lot. How about we discuss these other points? Yeah. The response was two fingers, um, no thank you. From the river to the sea is what's chanted now. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. There was, a, there was a wonderful quote that came out of that where um, um, Yasser Arafat said to President Clinton, You are a great man. And Clinton responded, I'm not a great man. I am a failure, and you made me one. I just, it, it absolutely does my head in. Um, that that was a, that was a, a catastrophic opportunity that was missed. All right, so we now come to the critical uh, election. So we 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 have elections um, where Abbas, what's his first name? How do you pronounce Mahmoud Abbas? Um, he wins, uh, and then we have elections in Gaza where Hamas successfully win. Um, which is the last election in either region. Yes, Abbas is currently serving his 18th year, 18th year of his four-year term. Yeah, Mind you, um, the, I've, uh, one re- version I've said, if they, if they were to hold an election now, the concern is that Hamas would win. Unfortunately, that's true. And already, the student politic of Berzite University, which has a memor- memorandum, it's a, in the West Bank, yeah. has a memorandum of understanding with the University of Auckland, the student politic have overwhelmingly supported Hamas before the current strife and since. Okay. So uh, let's, because I want to get to the blockade. So, <laughs> so the uh, Hamas are, are, are elected in 2006. They take over in 2007. Now, prior to this, I think it was 2003, Israel completely disengaged. So they had some settlements in the Two, south. 2005 was a disengagement. The, um, and I think we should just dwell um, for 20 more seconds on the Hamas winning the elections. Yes. Um, they won by a narrow majority yeah. um, in Gaza. And the idea was that there would be a unity government, Hamas and the PLO, yes. uh, in that area. Um, Hamas killed several hundred of their political opponents um, to completely take over yes. the Gaza Strip. Um, and I think that's an important piece of context to keep in mind. 
um, and not one that will be brought up by anyone who claims to be pro-Palestinian. Well, the, the, yeah. the al- almost... Uh, so, though, that's what happened with the uh, elections. Yes. Um, in 2005, uh, Israel decided to withdraw completely from Gaza um, yeah. and, and um, acquiesced to the demands of a Juden Fry Palestinian state. A what? Sorry. Oh, Juden Fry, Jufri, yep. Okay. Um, and the military went in and forcibly tore Jews from their homes yes. and pulled them across the border. Uh, and handed over the territory. Roughly, how many Jews? Uh, I I don't have the full numbers on hand. Thousands. Thousands. All right. All right. Um, so um, at least we have evidence of the state of Israel forcibly expelling people from their homes now. So you know. It's uh, uh, yes. <laughs> I, exactly. No, no. No one wants to condemn it though. <laughs> no, no. Not that time. No. Um, uh, all right. So ha- Hamas are now in charge. So what leads to the blockade and what is the blockade? The first thing to keep in mind is at the time in 2005 when the Jews were being pulled out, Israeli society, as ever, was split. (laughs) There were those who thought this was a complete shame, this was uh, the complete wrong thing to do and it was immoral of the army to forcibly relocate people. So there was condemnation at the time, it just came from Jews. Yes. The other side of Israeli society, the government included, um, said, no, 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 this is our best chance of peace. This is an opportunity for the, the Arab-Palestinian leaders to do what they say that they want, to build up a state. They can make it what was the, the Singapore of the Middle East, was yeah. the hope for Gaza. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. Yes. Right? It's on the Mediterranean, every opportunity. There were even plans and the, the, the beginnings of shared industrial yeah. zones at the border. There was an border. international airport. There was an airport. There, there were well, plans some president of, was there at the opening. Which one? I, I don't recall. Bush? I think I, th- I, th- I, th- I think there was. I think in America... But anyway, I could be wrong. It must have been a while ago. Um, there were plans for shared industrial zones and there were, there were businesses that were trying to operate there. And then, of course, well, of course, unfortunately, uh, there were terror attacks. There, the, it became uh, unsafe to start to try and do these things. Yeah. And more strict security measures were put in place. Um, and... It, there was a fence put around. Um, and as a result of thousands of indiscriminately fired rockets, even back then, they managed to find resources and, and, and target civilians. Um, and this was before the Iron Dome, so they caused even more damage, unfortunately, to Israeli civilians. So we're talking after Hamas's... After the withdrawal, after Hamas, after everything. Yep. So, but it was, so the point I want to make is that it was Hamas who were doing this. Of course. Yeah, yeah, there, there are there are other terror groups in Gaza as well. Palestinian Islamic Jihad is the most well known of yeah. the others, but Hamas runs the Gaza Strip. Um, and when I say run, I mean run like North Korea mm-hmm. um, with an iron fist. Mm-hmm. They th- they killed hundreds of Fatah members to take political power, yeah. and they rule the Gaza Strip. They're responsible for what goes on in there. Responsible for using. Uh, civilians as human shields, responsible for training kids into terror, responsible for it all. Um, uh, So there are more and more security measures. And it's not just Israel, by the way, because if you pull up a map, Egypt borders Gaza too. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. And the border with Egypt is also sealed sealed at the moment. Well, but the moment it's been sealed for a long time. Uh, there's been, At least occasionally there have been some openings and there's some tunnels as well that 
uh, get used uh, illegally. But the um, the blockade that people talk about, um, I think most people who have thought about this and read about this refer to the naval blockade around Gaza. This is what Marama Davidson and Mike Treen and Roger Fowler have jumped on um, uh, Mediterranean cruisers to go and try and breach. Yes. Um, that was put in place because of the rocket fire. And Sir Geoffrey Palmer led a, an investigation into it to see the legitimacy of it and concluded that it was entirely legal, entirely appropriate, yeah. and absolutely necessary for the safety of Israeli civilians. What, what goods can go into Gaza under this blockade? Um, I'm, I'm ignoring the recent changes. Anything that can't be used to murder Israelis, mm. um, which hasn't stopped Hamas from digging up water pipes to make rockets with. Yeah, so that was my next question. <clears throat> why, why is Israel, sorry, why is Gaza reliant on Israeli water? They're not. It's a misnomer. Israel supplied about 11% of Gaza's water supply. Up until just recently? Uh, up until just recently. Only 11%. Um, they, I think they supplied a lot more of the energy. Yes. Right? Um, but that was essentially a gesture of goodwill on behalf of Israel um, and a recognition that there are people in Gaza who are not... Uh, terrorists, right? We have to we have to acknowledge the civilian casualties as well. Um, they have been ruled by a terror group for 16, because, 17 years. Uh, um, I read two things. Both were interesting. One is that um, Gaza was getting its water from an underground aquifers, which had been damaged, whatever, and also... The, the, the Jews poisoned them. <laughs> yeah, the Jews poisoned them. <laughs> God, those tricky Jews. Um, and they... Gaza... the so I'm not sure. Right. There are stories out there that uh, Hamas were digging up uh, water pipes, but not stories. Video footage posted by yeah, dozens. But, but you know, you don't know whether they were active water pipes or uh, this. But the but the other thing that I, which I I love the story. Apparently, um, enterprising Gazans in this situation thought, shit, you know what? People need water. There's the sea, and so they're running their own desalination plants. The power of the market. I just, I, just, <laughs> that's just, right. I, I, I love that, and so that's where. I'll, um, but uh, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you one more example of the power of the market. Yes. Um, uh, we provide about a million dollars worth of aid every year to an organisation called UNRWA. This is um, New Zealand. New Zealand, yes, yeah. which we can talk about. Part of that aid goes to providing um, basic food, you know, yes. um, medical equipment and schooling, which we can hopefully talk about. Um, the UNRWA aid meant for refugees, UN, the, uh, the UN um, Relief and Works Agency, right. um, they have packets that are labelled UNRWA aid for refugees in Gaza, yes. even though refugees... Anyway, um, they're being sold by by the people that run Gaza. <laughs> that's, not, right? that's not entrepreneurship. That's theft. Uh, well... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Running a desalination plant and selling it for money. What do they use? Do they use shekels? Right, that's the Israeli currency. Yes. What do they use for the currency in Gaza? Also shekels. shekels. Israeli shekels. Okay. Right. Um, makes sense. Okay. So. Or US dollars. It's um, been a long time since uh, I've never been so, okay. but I hear. Um, Right. Well, I've, I've been to the West Bank and they, they, they use shekels there, which I thought they was... They do. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it makes sense. Money's just money. All right. So <clears throat> let's... Um, it's taken me longer to get here than what I, what I anticipated, but that's all right. Um, uh, so 
we fast forward to the current situation. We've got so Israel um, obviously would like um, Gaza to be the Singapore of the Mediterranean. Um, Hamas are not very keen on that. Before we talk about the the recent attacks and the response from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. Where does the saying come from? Is this a uh, did this originate from Hamas? Did they adopt it? Where has it come from? Yes and yes. The first recording use of it was from Hamas, um, and they've adopted it. Um, that's all kind of by the by. The the real question is what does it mean, um, and what what should we understand when people use it, um, and if People are completely ignorant, which after October 7th, uh, I don't think people should be. But if people are totally ignorant um, and innocent, then it sounds like freedom is what's being called for. Um, But if you actually stop and just look at the words, the river refers to the Jordan River and the sea refers to the Mediterranean Sea. Yes. And from the river to the sea is all of Israel and Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, and Gaza. And the slogan was originally used by a group dedicated explicitly to murdering Jews. And so... So which one was this? Hamas. Hamas, yeah. Yeah. And so... Do we know when they first used it? uh, I don't have that to hand. Okay. Um, What it really means is we want no Jews to be in their indigenous lands. The more generous interpretation, if you really want to stretch things and 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 be be kind, is uh, it means that um, the entire land's under Arab control, which, as we know throughout history, kind of means the same thing. Doesn't always go well. Um, so can I just want to bounce back a sec. So, um, let's one of the big dynamics inside the. A Muslim world, I should rather narrow it. The Muslim world is the Sunni, Sunni Shiite, uh, different worldview. So, Palestinians, um, so just where where do where do they sit in that divide? How does that relate to the Muslim Brotherhood um, with Iran? Because I I actually think that I actually, I actually think that's a really important dynamic. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, Gosh, we've just covered about five thousand years in twenty minutes. So, let, let, let's go back to to now, you know, Islamic history. So, the the majority of Muslims are Sunni Muslims, about eighty yes. percent, um, um, and the minority are Shia Muslims. Shia Muslims are mostly from Persia, mm-hmm. modern day Iran, um, and uh, I think the important bit of this, um, what you're kind of touching on, is the majority of or all of the Arab Palestinians are Sunni Muslims. Um, but Hamas and um, Hezbollah are supported by Iran, which it's is bizarre. Sunni Iran. The, Cause, enem- cause the enemy no love of- lost between those two groups. Whenever there is a common enemy, um, strange bedfellows can get together. Yeah. And in the case of the conflict that we're describing, there is no greater enemy than the great Satan, the Jews. Um, I thought the great Satan was the United States. Uh, little Satan. You the, yeah, Israel is the little Satan. That's um, yeah. and, and so um, Hamas is eternally grateful for the support of Iran um, in achieving both of their goals. Um, yeah, because I, the other thing that I have read, get your take on this, is that 
and I, I don't know if I believe this, but it, it kind of makes sense, that Iran was pushing for this because they are unhappy about the Abraham Accords, which is it's been credited to um, Trump's son-in-law. Just, that might be overly generous. But the, 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 the detente <laughs> so. that is occurring between Israel and some of the Arab nations and potentially um, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And, and so one theory is that Iran has been pushing that. Does that strike you as credible or is that just people reading into the tea leaves? No, I, I think there's an element of truth to that. Um, the certainly the um, peace that has spread out across the Middle East because of the Abraham Accords uh, has has not been sitting well with Iran. Yeah. Um, they don't want to see that, of course. Um, uh, however, um, there's been testimony from some of the Hamas commanders that this has been in the planning for a number of years. Mm. Um, and so I don't think it's entirely down to just the Abraham Accords. Um, Hamas's charter from its inception in the 80s has mm. been to cleanse the land of Jews. Yeah. Um, this is not a recent development. Anyone that's been paying attention has seen the rockets being fired before and the infiltration attempts. That's the reason that there's a fence and checkpoints and security. Yeah. Um, they've They've told us what they are and who they are and what they <laughs> yeah, want. We this should is, believe them. This is no surprise. Um, why has it happened now? That's the Abraham Accords plays into it probably a little bit. Um, it was also on the um, anniversary of the Yom Kippur War in in the Gregorian calendar. Um, another theory. Uh, if if you're Hamas, let's just think strategically for a second. You're Hamas. You do this you know that there's going to be a reaction and possibly a ground invasion. What do they have any, do they have it? I mean, I know it's, we're asking to put ourselves in the head, in the heads of people, that, you know, but, but I mean, they're not, the, their motivations are what they are. If you just, if you just take that as a, as a, as a founding, you know, we take that as a starting assumption. They're not a rational one, you know, if you exclude that starting assumption, what's the strategy here? So, so I think there's a couple of answers to this, which is really important. Um, if you, as as you've rightly pointed out, if you're trying to be rational uh, about this, there are a couple of things that pop to mind. The first is Hamas don't care about civilians, right? And in actual it's fact, certainly not their own. Well, not their own, and not and not Israeli civilians either. And um, unfortunately, what we've seen over the past. 15, 16 years, is an increasing willingness on behalf of uh, Western liberal democratic media, politicians, academics, um, commentators, to downplay Hamas's violence, to hide their charter, to not see them for what they are, and to condemn Israel for retaliating. Um, the sick scorecard that's used of the number of people dead without understanding the intent and the actions that have been taken mm -hmm. to protect civilians and the demographics of the people. The, the, the civilian to, to combatant ratio of those dead in battles by the IDF is almost four times better than any other army in the world. Oh, really? But so, but, but so come back to the what? So I do it. So, so yeah. when... The, the Western liberal democratic world seems to give their support for your actions, that encourages more actions, right? If you, if you are seen to be victorious, because you don't care about civilian lives, neither Israeli, neither in Gaza, 
Well, if, if, if I'm if I'm a if you're a Western, Hamas, oh, if you're Hamas, yeah, oh, right. Yeah. All you hear is Israel's being condemned. Yes. We're not getting much of that, right? New, Ze- New Zealand even helped to block the unprecedented, as in it's never been done before. Not it was it was strongly worded condemnation of Hamas at the United Nations. So if you're Hamas sitting back, or you're Iran, rather, sitting back watching all of this, yeah. what are you meant to think? You're winning, right? So why, why stop? So that's part of it. The other part of it is the real fear now is what started in Gaza is not going to be confined to Gaza. We've already seen attacks starting in the Northern Front. So Hezbollah entering this war is going to be orders of magnitude worse because they have 150-odd thousand missiles stored under civilian villages on the border with Israel. It it could get very ugly very, very quickly, which is why the United States have put an aircraft carrier in and all the messaging has been everyone else stay out of this. (coughs) But it hasn't stopped Israel from evacuating some people from the north as well and some of the skirmishes up there. So if you're Iran sitting back, and you've seen wins in the previous wars, because everyone's been condemning Israel for their response to terror, and you've upped the ante a little bit, and now you see there might be an opportunity to actually drive the Jews into the sea, maybe you'll take it. Yeah, I... That's I the mean, fear. I mean, if I'm if I'm looking at it now and I see what Hamas has done and I see the reaction, I understand the logic. But if I go back to October the sixth and I'm Hamas, because I'm I have been came to that we'll make the, the, the last little segment. Um, I have been shocked at the the Western reaction. But if I'm sitting there and well, sitting in Qatar, but because um, that's where the Hamas leadership apparently is. But if I'm sitting, if I'm controlling Hamas, and I think I, I, I do this attack, I'm going to get ground troops into Gaza City, right? And that that can't be their end objective, surely. Or is that their, do, do they, do they, so, so why, do they want that? What, why should they care? They don't care about the civilians that are being killed. They don't care about the civilians. They care they've, about their own lives. Uh, not if they die as martyrs, right? This is what children have been taught in the schools since since they go to kindergarten, yeah. that martyrdom is the highest ideal, that they, they glorify the terrorists in their schools. Mm-hmm. The Palestinian Authority pay the families of murdered terrorists a stipend based on how many Jews they murder. Yeah. It is an honour to die in that way. Some of them believe there's 72 virgins waiting for them. Right? Don't tell them what they look like. <laughs> but the, the trying to trying to impose trying to impose a Western lens on what we've seen and what we've seen for a long time, it doesn't quite work because no, but the, see, but, the but value systems are different. I look at, I look at I know, Saladin, for example. Right? I can I can understand, you know the. Well, no, I shouldn't say that I can understand, but but I mean, it, it kind of makes sense to me from a military. You know, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and whatever. But when I when I look at this, anyway, um, um, so I just want to come to the final bit, which kind of was where I wanted to talk about, but we got waylaid to lots of different areas. the The thing that I have found shocking 
and, and it, it 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 touches back to what we started. Why I want to start with the anti-Semitism thing. I have been really surprised at the lack of condemnation and the milk toast, the the very weak condemnation that has been. Nana Mahuta's instinctive reaction was. And I don't think it's I don't think it was driven by anti-Semitism necessarily, but but it was just so banal. I mean, Hipkins came out and said the right thing, but 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 that wasn't Mahuta's instinctive reaction. You saw um, some uh, pro-Palestinian marches. No, no, Damien, we saw anti-Israel marches. Yeah, that's. I I, I yeah, enough en- enough enough of giving um, credit. Yes. Unduly, we saw anti-Israel marches. So, but why? Why are there more people not saying exactly that? I mean, because the only so, people I see saying anything are, are, are you know, Jews predominantly. No, the, I, these seem to be the... the yeah. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a whole lot to unpack there, I think. Um, the first thing I'll say is it's not only Jews. And I've been extremely heartened by a number of people that have reached out to me personally um, to express support and solidarity. Your column was excellent. Um, after I did that interview with Sean, I got a, at least a dozen random Kiwis finding my contact details and reaching out. It's been extremely heartening. I think the atrocities that we saw on October 7th uh, have woken a lot of people up. Yes. Um, what has been going on for far too long is what I mentioned before, and that is the inability of leaders of democracies to stand up against the terror. And unfortunately, even at the darkest hour of October 7th, our foreign minister couldn't quite find the right words. And even after she was corrected by the prime minister, she went on Radio New Zealand and couldn't quite say terrorism. Yeah. Now She's not she, alone in that. She's not alone. And what Hipkins said, and he, he might have just been... Um, uh, he might have made a mistake by telling the truth, um, is that her initial comments were advised by MFAT. And what we know about MFAT officials is that not only have they not condemned terror in the past against Israel, they also send our tax money to fund the schools in yeah, which these children let's, let's grow let's up. Let's talk about that. They also, they also vote against Israel disproportionately at the United Nations with all the despots and dictators. Mm-hmm. And they also sit at the terrorist designation working group that... What is that? That is the New Zealand group that designates terror organisations. Um, and our interpretate, my interpretation is they blocked Hamas being designated a terror group in New Zealand because what's written in the OIA documents is that doing so might, quote, impact our future national interests. Now... Might be true, but so what? Well, they are selling the security of our nation and the international security, particularly when it comes to Jews, I'll add, on this idea that perhaps one day we'll re-establish some trade with Iran, is my interpretation. Anyway, the schools, we'll you want to go we'll, back to the we'll schools. We'll just give them Sudetenland and, and it'll be fine. All right, so <laughs> let's <laughs> let's talk about... Because this is this is one of your really big issues. So so we've gone way over the hour. But um, but let's talk about your. This is a big issue that the institute's been pushing. Yeah, for a long time. Um, 
I remember meeting my first meeting with a um a senior MVAT official. He was the head of the Middle East and Asia division. Um and we raised a number of concerns with MVAT in the early days of the institute. Um and we wrote a, an extensive report on UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency that we mentioned. And one of the things in there was that um they their schools that they run, which is 60% of their $1.3 billion budget, by the way, um, which is about nine times more per capita than the United Nations Humanita- uh, Re- Refugee Agency. Um, so, so there's a whole lot going on. But one of the issues that we raised in this paper was that the schools that they operate in Gaza and in the West Bank teach children to glorify the murder of Jews and have anti-Semitic themes running through them. This is decades of evidence and analysis of the texts. The curriculum is produced by the Palestinian Authority, and they use... So uh, we're talking about the West Bank or Gaza? Both. They both use the same curriculum. So Hamas used the same curriculum that is from the... Correct. They approve it, of course. And we said to... uh, Sorry, the first meeting that we have with the senior official, the first words that he says to me... The first words that he says to me is he says, thank you for coming. I just want to let you know that we believe Israel has a right to exist. So why why say that? Why? It's so patronising. It's like, you know, you, you should be grateful we don't hate you. But, but why do they say that? What's the just, thinking behind it? I don't know what the thinking is. But the pattern that has emerged over time has been one that has deeply disappointed me and for years we have been trying to raise this issue Winston Peters as foreign minister mm-hmm. um, wrote what sounded like or he signed what sounded like an MFAT drafted letter that said essentially um, we're monitoring the situation and um, we trust that UNRWA is upholding all of the UN ideals etc 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 it's not a good sign um, <laughs> uh, decades and decades and decades of evidence even not just the curriculum, but the staff they employ incite violence on social media. Um, one of them last year, or earlier this year, posted on Facebook that she wishes Hitler came back because there's still more Jews to get. So where was this comment? On Facebook, by an UNRWA staff member. Based in um, yeah. Gaza or... Yeah, yeah, yeah that okay. we fund. Right, yeah. Um, praising Hitler. Um so why? So this has been an why ongoing are we issue. so? I mean, there must be other ways to support the um, residents of the Gaza Strip if you if you wanted to do that. What's just easy? It, it's easy. Everyone else is doing it. Is kind of the answer that we got as well. Um, you know, our, all the you know the EU sends some money. Well, they do. They've also had great debates and they've cut some funding and they've put in some restrictions on where their funding goes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So um, that's been one of the excuses. The other, the great line that always gets trotted out when we've been in these discussions um, is that uh, UNRWA provides security and safety to the region um, and there's no other alternative. As if, as if the, you know, three or four different proposals for what to do with the schools can't be enacted. Um, but ultimately, it's... Uh, I would like to believe the, the best of all the options is that it's real politic, is that there's some uh, backdoor deal that, you know, with some trading partner that we don't want to, whatever, a sheep farm in Saudi Arabia, whatever, whatever it is. That's the best possible outcome for this. But I hope that not only that, but the designation of Hamas, our record at the United Nations, 
our failure to condemn terror properly, um, and a whole bunch of other issues after October 7th is going to change. Um, all right. This has um, been a difficult conversation, um, as I suspected it would be. Anyway, um, t- um, I, th- I think my takeaway from all of this is that I've been enormously disappointed to see the weakness in the Western response, and that is very, very frustrating. It hasn't all been frustrating. Most Western liberal democracies and the leaders have come out quite strongly against terror. New Zealand has been an outlier, sadly. Um, uh, there There are a lot of people who have been sending supportive messages. There are some individuals who have stood up proudly for Israel, and I thank them all. Um, we haven't touched on, you know, some of the academics here that have justified the terror and expressed solidarity with the slaughter. Um, we haven't touched on some of the MPs who still want to have closer ties with the Palestinian Authority and haven't quite brought themselves to um, speak out against the single worst day uh, massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. Yeah, I find that I find that amazing. Well, and 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 when you when you when you you fast forward. And you you look back at the reaction. I think it's been a success, um, in some ways, for Hamas. It's shown that they can do this, and the consequences are not as I would have expected them to be. I would have thought that there would have been a a much more definitive break. But the the reaction of so many people and the unwillingness of so many people, um, I think, has been exceptionally disappointing. And and the thing that is really concerning is that is what happens next, right? So, so Israel now needs to make a choice, and it's a really hard choice. And I I, I don't envy those in charge who need to make that decision. But um, as always is in the case of these things, the provoca- the the reaction to the provocation will be used, I suspect, as an excuse to justify the provocation. Mm, exactly. And and but I think the one take home message from all of this should be that people now see that Hamas is what they say they've been all along. The rockets that they fired before were not rockets of peace. They came in, they slaughtered women and children. They burnt infants. They kidnapped families. They are ISIS in their MO. And they are completely different to the army of Israel that has already warned citizens has already called off strikes to avoid unnecessary collateral damage, as ugly as that word is. War is ugly, and it is sometimes necessary. And I hope everyone is supporting the IDF in this fight, because not only is it a fight for Israel, uh, it is a fight for us all. David Kuman, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.